Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. And of course, I sit with my bud, Tony. What's up, Tony? Hey, what's going on, Corey? Dude. I am so excited for today's interview. I know you're like a little kid on Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, we're interviewing Trevor Sorby, and he is definitely uh, one of my faces on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, no I mean, doubt. He is uh, something that uh, you know. I met him uh, the first time I met him. I was in hair school, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, when you're in hair school, you really don't know anything, right? And uh, and then like how lucky you were at that moment to meet Trevor. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we didn't have really internet back in the in 1990. Right. Exactly. And, uh, but I really didn't appreciate or, uh, what I was about to embark on who he mm-hmm. was, you That's know? Amazing. Oh, and not only is, is he amazing and he's on my Mount Rushmore. I'm going to give you a few icons that, uh, made comments about him once. Uh, everybody knows who Anthony Muscala is. Mm-hmm. And From uh, Tony and Guy, right? Yeah. He acknowledged uh, Trevor Sorby as one of the best hairdressers ever, credits him as having creatively putting England back in the forefront of hairdressers or hairdressing right. back in the 70s and 80s. That's amazing. That's, and that's from Anthony Muscala. That's from Anthony Muscala. Yeah. That's how, yeah, that's how powerful uh, I think uh, Trevor Sorby is to our industry. Absolutely. I mean, just his, his legacy and, and even the people that, that, that he's helped out and that have you know, carried, carried the torch, so to speak. That's one of the things we'll get into later on the podcast mm-hmm. is that he has trained so many icons in this industry. I mean, it's, it, I can't wait to just dive in and start you know, picking his brain a little bit. But uh, other, other iconic hairdressers, uh, you know, Patrick Cameron, uh, you know, he, he said among his peers, you know, is recognized uh, as a long hair expert, expert, describes him as a great mentor of many thousands of hairdressers. That's amazing. <laughs> that is powerful. I mean, it's amazing to like inspire one, but right. you know, to, uh, to, 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 again, to have your lineage as, as thousands of hairdressers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you literally changed the course of hairdressing. That's amazing. Um, well, we have him on the line, so I mean, we can sit and talk about him all day. <laughs> right? We could just ask him to talk. Should we oh, do that? Let's do that, <laughs> Mr. Trevor Sorby. Thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Ah, it's a pleasure. It's good to, talking to you guys, and uh, looking forward to having a nice chat, so to speak. Uh, so are we. We're, we're we're very excited to have you on. Um, you know, Trevor, kind of how this works is that uh, we're just going to ask you about, you know, how you came up in hairdressing and, and kind of get the uh, kind of get the business about who Trevor is. And before we get into it, mm-hmm. did, Trevor, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Scotland. Uh, in um, and um, moved down to England. My parents, well, my parents told me I was going on a two week holiday to see my uncle and auntie. But uh, they had an arrangement that I didn't know about. But the, my mum didn't like Scotland, so they had this arrangement where they'd spend 10 years of their marriage. I'll be back in two weeks, and just, you know, Mario will definitely be back. 
Well, I never went back, and uh, I think she's still wait, waiting at the bus stop uh, <laughs> <laughs> 50 uh, years later. Right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. How did, how did you, so, so, so you guys never went back to Scotland, you moved to England, and uh, yeah. did you always want it to be a hairdresser, or how did that come about? Yeah, well, no, I didn't want to be a never thought about it even. Um, I wanted to be an artist. I loved painting and drawing and sketching and all that stuff. And um, I, I was getting bullied at school, to be honest. And uh, I said to my mum and dad, look, I want to get out. I, I, you know, I hate school. And uh, they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. I'll get a job in a factory like my mates. And my dad at the time had a two-chair barber shop in Ilford in Essex. And he said to me, why don't you come in, this, in the shop and see how you get on? I said, yeah, all right, I'll try it. Well, in th within three months, I was cutting people's hair. Um, I never found hairdressing difficult. And I think really what, what it was for me, was instead of paint being my medium, hair became my medium. And... Um, and in actual fact, I stayed with my father for five years in the little barber shop. And uh, <clears throat> after that, I, I actually quit hairdressing. Um, I was getting bored just cutting men's hair. I uh, decided to change my profession. So I went to get a job uh, as a representative for Gillette Razor Blades. <coughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I, I didn't get the job. I, I lied through my teeth because when he said, what qualifications do you have? I said, well, uh, A in math, B in geography, C in English. <laughs> <clears throat> and none of it was true. And obviously, they, this guy saw right through me. Um, so I didn't get the job. But I didn't really want the job. I wanted the car that came with the job. But obviously, <laughs> I didn't get either. So... I said to my parents, I said, look, I said, I don't know. I said, I'd like to go back into hairdressing, but I just want to do ladies' hairdressing. So um, they, this is many years ago, obviously, um, and they sent me to a college in London. Uh, it was a six-month course. It was £100. And in those days, uh, that was a lot of money for my parents anyway. And uh, I did the course in six months. And on the last day of the course, the principal of the college said to me, Trevor, I, I want a word with you. I said, okay. He said, um, I see something a bit special in you. Now, I kind of didn't really know what he was talking about because I don't think anyone sees themselves as special, but other people can see something special in you. My wife um, calls me they, special all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, um, I think you should go to a good salon. And I said, okay. He says, where do you recommend? He said, uh, Vidal Sassoon. I think you should go there. And I said, all right, I'll try it. So I, I did the uh, training, I did a final test there. And uh, within 18 months, I was an artistic director for the company. And that's really when, if you like, my career really started in a serious way. You see, the thing is, I know one thing, in salons, as you are aware, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the staff room. Um, people sort of bitching about the company or just, you know, 
just being quite negative in many cases. Now, I personally um, never sat in the staff room. I always stood on the floor watching at the time these great hairdressers, Roger Thompson, Christopher Brooker, I mean, really fantastic hairdressers. And um, in life, I, I, there's certain things I know I could not do. I couldn't jump out of an airplane with a parachute. I couldn't do a bungee jump. I know that about me. But when I was watching these great hairdressers at the time, it, it didn't seem impossible. Difficult, yes, but impossible, no. And I've always seen myself, I've never tried to be, so to speak, a top hairdresser. I've, what I've tried to do, it's about running, um, walking up a ladder, set myself a goal, and um, I reach that goal, and then I set myself another goal, and so on and so on, until you take it as far as you want. And um, I, I think that's really the best way to, to learn any craft. I mean, I think it's, it's called an, an apprenticeship, which is a very... Uh, not a very used word these days because a lot of young hairdressers want the fame and the fortune tomorrow as opposed to taking the long road to whatever their dreams are. But, um, that's kind of my mentality. Um, and I, I think it was watching these great hairdressers at the time, as Miguel was working at them, so I privilege and honor of working with him and uh, we became very good friends uh, in the end uh, I used to cut his mum's hair one of his wife's hair and um, even his hair I mean we became very good friends and uh, he it's great loss to the profession uh, now that he's not with us uh, but he's still my hero and always will be right he's up I mean there's no better to hear to have than I mean speak about a Mount Rushmore right right that's that that's amazing Trevor I want to kind of back up a little bit um you you mentioned goals and and I had a question about that you said that um you know you would you would you would climb the ladder reach your goal and then you'd set another goal but how do you set creative goals like you know creatively and even we we even talked to Chris um uh Chris Sorby um on about this on our podcast about how, um, you know, you guys would sit at a table and like Robert Labetta would be there or whomever else would be there. But how do you set creative goals? You know, it's, it's easy to have like a financial goal. I'm just curious as how that, how the creative goal works. Um, well, firstly, I, I think the word passion is the most important word in my vocabulary. And if you are passionate about something, you push yourself uh, it's, it's like an athlete, you know, they have to train every day to become the fastest that they can be. And I think that that's my mentality. I'm, I try very hard to please me first. And if I please me, I'll please a lot of other people. Um, and I think that um, that kind of energy that I have and persistence, I have. Um, I mean, the thing is, Corey, look, I've got no qualifications at all um, from school or anything like that. Um, I'm not even very clever. Um, I, I still can't spell very well. Um, and technology, well, I've told you about that. I hate it. But 
at the same time, it's a modern day world, and uh, I understand that. But I, I, I push myself to the extreme limits of my own physical being. Um, and I, I always do something, or used to anyway, when I was like, for example, preparing for a show, I, I would always work at home um, because I don't, didn't want to be disturbed. And if I made, for example, a hairpiece, um, I'd, I'd make it and then I'd go to bed and I'd give it a 24-hour test. And if I came down in the morning and I still had that buzz about it, then it, it was a goer. But if I didn't, it ended up in the bin. And to be honest, more ended up in the bin than... Uh, you know, on people's heads. So <laughs> I am my own worst critic, which I think is good. Yeah, that's I don't cool. fool myself. I, you know, I, I don't have an ego. Well, I do, but I don't use it in the way a lot of people use it. But um, I, I go out to every show to get me first. And if I get me, I get the audience because, well, that's, Kind of how it works for me, <laughs> but uh, the creative side, I, you know, I, I think the creative side is the most frustrating thing about it because you are you you always think you can do better. Um, it's like when I was painting, for example, I'd always think, yeah, it's all right, but I, I definitely think I could do better, and it's very frustrating being creative because um, you just never quite get what you want. You get close and you sometimes do hit it, but uh, it's, it's rare. Uh, so the frustration really is a difficult part of being creative. But hairdressing is in your DNA, e even though it was 15 when you start working at your dad's barbershop. But e mm. you're a third gener generation hairdresser. Right, your grandfather uh -huh. was a, a barber as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. He was a pro professor of hair, actually, in one of the uh, colleges in Glasgow. Uh, so, yeah, it's in the blood. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I guess being a, a painter, an artist, I mean, you you just was able to see it the way I guess most people can't see it. They have to learn it mm. in a way to understand it, and I guess some people can just kind of see it, right? See it, yeah. That's yeah, well, you see, that works for me. Um, you have to have an idea first um, when you're creating something new, um, which is fine. But then you have to work out how the heck you're going to do it. You have to work backwards. So you, you start with the initial idea and you can visualize it. And you have to be able to visualize the idea. And then you have to work out how the heck you're going to make that work. Um, and that's the fun part, to be honest, because I've used many things outside of hairdressing in a way of wire and all kinds of different materials to achieve a, an effect. And I never like to look inside. I, n I never copy anyone. Um, I always try to be original. And um, I think that uh, that's a difficult part because creativity it doesn't it's not like a tap you turn it and you know creativity comes out of the tap it's not like that at all sometimes I don't have any ideas and that's annoying because you think oh I'm drawing I, I remember talking to Robert Lebetta once and 
he said exactly that. He said that he said I can go six months without an idea, and then all of a sudden the tap turns on, and out comes ideas. So you you have dry periods um, when you're trying to develop new ideas, um, and as I say, that's very frustrating. Did it? Do you think it helped? Um, you know, having um, you know, friends like Robert Labetta and, and that you can bounce ideas off of. Um, did, did did that create? Did, did that help in the creative process? Um, uh, in a way, as I said, I, I never. To me, Robert is, and I use this word very, very rarely, but he's a genius, um, and that is pure creativity. I, as I said, I don't copy what he's done but he inspires me to want to do things that where he can turn around and say, hey, Trev, that was cool. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you get inspired by people like that. Absolutely. So you said, you said after 18 months, you became artistic director for Vidal Sassoon's. Did mm-hmm. you guys form a, uh, a friendship during those 18 months or uh, was it just, how did that work? How did that, dynamic you know come about well like i say uh to be perfectly honest corey um standing behind a chair cutting people's hair is a way of making a living that's your bread and butter i step outside that wouldn't if i was still just doing that i wouldn't be a hairdresser because i'd be bored to be honest I have to do things that I don't know how to do. Um, and I think that's um, a hunger that I have. Um, when you're working uh, in those early days at Sassoon's, when I was working with some of the best hairdressers in, in that generation, um, that is in itself inspiring. And I wanted to be one of those guys. I really felt it wasn't impossible. Um, difficult, yes, but impossible, no. Um, and I, I'm one of these people that won't give up. You know, I'll, I'll pursue something until I get what I want. Um, so uh, part of it is who you are, my personality and uh, just the way I think. I don't, I'm not a very complicated person by any means. I'm actually quite a simple person. But I like the simplicity of things. Um, anything that, you know, the, there's one word that I, I love. It's a very short word, but the word is wow. And I can say uh, a design of a building, um, clothes, I can go, oh, wow, that looks good. And everything I do has to go wow. Uh, and if it doesn't, then it gets trashed. So, um, so being in those early days, I was inspired by just really great hairdressers, and that rubbed off uh, on me. Here's a question I actually have about uh, about um, Vidal. Is is what? And this is going to sound like sacrilege, so I'm sure the entire industry is about to crush me. But um, but I'm just curious. Was 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 Vidal as great as as we believe he was, or was he just able to put, or was was he able to um, put together a really great team? Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Um, there's a guy who used to be um, Vidal's assistant. His name is Stephen Way, and he came over to my house one night for dinner, 
and we were talking about Vidal. And Stephen obviously knew him almost more than I did. And he said, you know what, Trev? He said, Vidal made his real success in a 10-year period. Not 20 years, not 30 years, but 10 years. Because he hit on something that revolutionized um, hairdressing. And I don't know anyone to this day that could do that, um, where every hairdresser in the world at some point has done a cut and blow dry. And he, the, the amount of fame that he's had was mainly due to that 10 year period. But then he went into, you know, exercise and did a lot of TV work in America. Um, and so he continued his fame, but in another way. And I'll tell you something, this, this is what inspires me. One day, about, must have been about three, four years ago, he walked into my salon in Covent Garden and uh, he went, hi, Trev, hi. I went, oh, hi. I was really surprised to see you, Vidal. He said, oh, I was passing by, so I thought I'd pop in. Now, he went up to the receptionists, the cleaners, uh, the baristas. He went round, shook all the assistants' hands, um, went to every client and um, presented himself. He says, good morning, madam. My name's Vidal Sassoon. Just want you to know that you're in one of the best salons in London. And uh, I just thought, my God, he didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to say hi to the cleaner or whoever. And when he left, I thought, if I can be half that man, that humble, that generous with his time and just being in his space. So if I can be half that man, I'll, I'll die a happy man. He, he, he's my hero in every sense of the word, not just for his hairdressing, but uh, his person, personality and his honesty and humbleness. I love that about him. So that sounds like a um, yes. That he was that inspirational. I mean, that inspirational and just, I mean, what, what an inspiration as a man, not just, you know, like Trev said, not just a hairdresser, but golly, man. So you mentioned your salon. When did, when, when did you first open your salon? 1979. And yeah. it's, it's still open, Trev? Uh, well, we moved. It was too small, so we had to move a, a new location in Covent Garden. But here's an interesting thing. I mean, this is a multi-million pound company. And I haven't put one penny of my money into this business, not one penny. Because what happened, there was a guy in the suburbs, and, and we, we knew each other on the circuit, all these events that go on. And he phoned me up one day and said, Trev, how would you like your own salon? I went, yeah, all right. I said, I want 50% and my name above the door, which he went for it. And that's how I started. But I didn't put one penny into this company not even the product line i didn't put a penny into so i've made quite a lot of money without investing any of my own well he saw he saw he you are literally the michael jordan jordan of of 
in our industry. You know what I mean? You are, you are the cream of the crop and he, he it, obviously it was money well invested for him. So, <laughs> you know, he, his brand was like Nike, right? So, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we have six salons in the UK. We have three in China, one in Dubai. Um, and we're going to expand. Um, well, I've teamed up with a company in Dubai and they came over looking to invest in a brand. And, um, so they picked me out and we negotiated everything and uh, basically they went back to Dubai and went to another company who specializes in taking brands and globalizing them. And the plan is to open in Australia, America, India, um, and anywhere else we can dream up. So it's going to go global, this brand. Um, this is this is the it, it'll be under the uh, Trevor Sorby name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Trevor, are you working behind the chair anymore, or do you just do guest spots? Um, well, but I do both. But I, I'll tell you where my heart is at the moment, and what I'm, what I've pioneered. Um, my sister-in-law got cancer, and um, she said to me. Trev, um, I'm going to lose my hair. Would you get me a wig? But I still want to look, um, you know, attractive to your brother. I said, yeah, hey, that's no problem, Jackie. So I bought this wig and I put it on and uh, it looked like a wig. And I said, look, it, there's too much hair in here. I, do you mind if I just cut some bits out and customize it and make it look more natural? She went, no, go ahead. So I did. And I said, all right, Jackie, go and have a look in the mirror and see what you think. And she just burst out tears of joy. And um, a penny dropped for me. And I took a major right turn in my uh, career. And now I actually have my own charity. It's called My New Hair. Um, L'Oreal support me. They give me their um, educational uh, facilities free of charge. And I train 15 hairdressers per month. And I've trained now 1,300 hairdressers in the UK alone. We've got an extra room, it's a study, and we're going to convert that into a, a room for people with medical hair loss. They can come to my home and um, I will cut their wigs for them. I don't charge a penny for it. I, I do free of charge. But what I do get is an amazing thing, which is a bit old-fashioned, but I love it. And that is I get a thank you card, but it's pen to paper. No emails, no, you know, whatever technology can advance in. But I keep those cards, and that's my payment. And um, that's why I do it. I, I help people to get through the most difficult time in their lives. Um, in fact, just before Christmas, my daughter phoned up. She lives in Ireland, in Dublin, and uh, she said, Dad, I said, what? She says, I've got cancer. I went, oh, shit. And it, I, I, I actually took it really badly. I had to stay off for about three weeks because it, it hurt me to know that. Um, but uh, that's, 
where my heart lies now, uh, helping people. And the thing is, you know, the surgeons do what they do. The nurses administer the chemotherapy. But there's something missing. And the medical profession can't do anything about it. And that is the loss of hair. Now, the medical profession would say, well, that's cosmetic. You know, that's not, we, we're here to save lives. Yes, I understand that. But I tell you what, if you take hair away from a woman, you've just lost half the woman. They, they lose their femininity. They, they lose their confidence. Um, it affects their families. Um, it's, it's, it's a tragic disease. And I think in my own little way, I give psychological medicine because when a woman gets up in the morning and she puts her wig on and looks in the mirror, she still sees her and the family still sees mum, if you know what I'm saying. And I think that's a very important part of the recovery of uh, any disease like cancer is that psychological of, uh, look, you know, if you walk down the road and you've got no hair for a woman, people stare at you and they think one thing, cancer. Now, you know, yeah, you can wear a scarf, you can put a hat on, whatever, but it's not the same. And I, I, I think it's, to me, and I know this for a fact, I'm not, I'm not uh, BSing myself, but I know I help people. And I think to be able to, God gave me a gift. Um, and I think I'm using it now more than ever in my career. I mean, I, I know I've sort of done things that have been good and all of that and the build up to this, but this is much more important to me now at my stage in my life than, um, you know, standing on a stage waiting for adulation. You know, I've had all of that, um, which was great, but this is way and above. You're changing lives in a different way. And, and, uh, that's 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 beautiful, and that's that's amazing. You know, I, I I tell you a quick little story. I I, I do some work in a hospice, and uh, all these people are terminally ill, and I didn't know what it was going to be like walking into a hospice. I thought it would be the most depressing place on this earth. Anyway, it isn't. It's a lovely place with lovely people. And um, one day I was cutting this lady's wig and the nurse came up behind me and said, Trevor, there's a lady downstairs in the private ward and she's getting married at three o'clock. Would you cut her wig for her? I said, yeah, yeah. And then she said, yeah, but it may not take place, the wedding. And I said, why? She said, well, she may die before three o'clock. I went, oh, my God. And it took the wind right out of my sails when she said that. And I thought to myself, come on, you know, man up, brave it, let's do this. So I went downstairs, knocked on the door, door opened. I went, Tina, it's your lucky day. I'm in town. I'm going to make you look fantastic on your big day. She was lying on the bed in her wedding dress, and she had all these drips on her arm and stuff. Her daughter was on the edge of the bed. There were streamers, cards, balloons in the room. Now, I didn't know how I was going to handle this. I had no idea because I've never met anyone that was about to die and I never want to. But um, I was in there for about 20, 25 minutes 
Well, I'll tell you something. I had one of the best 25 minutes of my life. We were in there, we were laughing with each other, joking. I wasn't in a room with a woman dying. I was in a room with a woman getting married. And they're quite different feelings, I can assure you. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, I left and I took a deep breath when I left. And uh, she did get married, uh, but next day she passed away. But I did something for her on her special day that made me feel like, hang on a second, I'm not just a hairdresser. I've, I've, I've made that woman feel good and, and happy. And I think if you can do that with anyone, I think you can do a good job at whatever you decide. So that was one experience. But that's where my heart is these days, helping people. That's amazing. So you said you trained over a thousand hairdressers in England um, to, to, you know, how to learn how to cut the wigs. Were you as strict in that training as you are this? I hear, I hear the fear of a lot of people when they, uh, when they talk about the final test uh, yeah. for you in the salon. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sorry to, to jump subject, but I, I hear uh, a, a lot of fear in this final test. Mm. Well, it's, it's a whole different thing because <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's a one-day course. Now, we don't, I don't just teach how to cut wigs. We have trained lecturers, nurses from the Northeast University. And these nurses come down every month and they talk about communication skills with dealing with somebody in a very fragile state. And, you, you know, your opening line is not uh, where are you going on your holidays. It's much more um, delicate than that so in a way it's a one-day course but it's up to them to take the knowledge of that one day and expand on it because every week that comes to you is different so you you know it takes years to train somebody up in that sort of same disciplined way but these are people that come on this course They've been either affected by cancer or know people with cancer. And they're, they're doing it from not the point of view of a technique or anything. They're, they're the same mentality as me. They want to do something to help um, maybe one of their clients or whatever. And they can take it as far as they want. But we, we just give them the starting block um, to have a go at, at trying to you know make a bad wig look better or a good wig to look amazing um so it's not the same structure as when i'm training to people to cut hair so to speak so it's a whole different approach but uh it works you know so <laughs> what um have you have you guys considered making your own wigs no I'll tell you why. Um, I once got had a bit of bad press once. One of these um, nasty newspapers um, got hold of me uh, and wrote some not very nice stuff. And I remember when I started doing this, my new hair, which is eleven years ago. I remember a journalist 
saying to me, oh, he's just trying to redeem himself. Well, I'll tell you something, that is not why I do this to redeem myself. I did it because I wanted to do it. And um, and I say, I've been doing it 11 years. I mean, that's... What a shitty thing to say to someone, you know, trying to do good, you know. Yeah, well, journalists, you know, they're not my best friends. <laughs> Can we talk about the 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 your apprenticeship? Because earlier in the conversation, you were talking about how important apprenticeship is, and uh, so to, to go through your apprenticeship program for the salon and. Mm. You know, I hear it's a very long process, but it's a very challenging process at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about your apprenticeship program a little bit or about the, the final yeah. test? Yeah, um, right. Here's, here's number one. If a hairdresser comes to me, uh, I won't mention any names, and says I can bring, you know, 40,000 pounds worth of clients in your salon tomorrow, uh, he would still, or she would still, have to go through the same process. So I don't. Now, having said that, if that same person went to a salon just down the road from here, um, and they said I, I can bring forty thousand pounds worth of clients in, they wouldn't even have to do a test. They would just get the job right away. Now, so what happens? And it doesn't matter if they've been hairdressing for two years, twenty years the same process takes place. And uh, it's simple as this. They have to do five commercial haircuts. If they pass that test, we train them, not just in the discipline of cutting, but the philosophy that we have as a company. And at the end of that six weeks, they have to do a final test. Every single person that works for me has gone through that process. And I take every test myself. And if they pass, they get the job. And if they don't, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) And anyone in my staff, you bump into anyone that's ever worked for me as a stylist, they will always, they'll all say this, they will never forget their final test. It's it's burnt into their body. Um, It's stressful. It's scary. Um, I try not to make it any of those things, but they put the pressure on themselves because they know I can fail them. And I have done several times. And that's the fear factor that goes through their body. But having said that, if they pass their test and work for me, that's like a passport to any job in the world of hairdressing. Um, they could go to Australia and say, I, I work for Trevor Sorby. They get the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what a reputation does. Uh, you know, it influences people and, and they know that they're coming from good stock, if you like, and uh, good disciplines. And uh, you see, the thing is, the way I see it is this. Every hairdresser, including myself over the time, gets into a rut. And they start start taking shortcuts, and that's not a pun, but they they they'll they'll cut it away that um, it gets the client out quicker. And uh, bad habits are really hard to remove. 
you know, to give up smoking, for example, is, is very difficult for most people. Um, and the way I look at it is this. If somebody comes to me, we knock them right down to, to scratch and then we build them back up. And it's very similar philosophy to the army or the navy where they absolutely crucify you to start with. But when they finish with you, 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 you become a damn good hairdresser. That's awesome. And, uh, it kind of reminds me, uh, I think Ruth Roche tells a story about how, uh, how you, had to, uh, you had to get on her a little bit. She, uh, do you know what story I'm referring to? Uh, not quite. Can you nudge she, my memory a little bit more? I, this, I, she was doing hair on stage, you know, under your flag, and apparently she got lost on her ways, and she just started to wing it. And then after the uh, after the show, um, you had a little talk with her backstage. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I don't hold back on anything if I see something's not right. You know, I haven't spent 50 odd years doing this just to be a nice guy to everyone. I, I, I think I, I think I, I think it's good to be told that that is not right, or you know, you shouldn't do that, or whatever. I think it's important to be honest with people because they sometimes learn more from that honesty than if you try and pat them on the back every five minutes. Um, there's a hairdresser. Um, you probably heard of in in my opinion uh, only my opinion I think he's the best hairdresser in the world right now his name is Angelo Seminara um, and every show he used to come on all my shows he, and um, he would have one particular person in tears every show because he was so well I, this is a true story uh, we were doing this show in Italy I think it was and um, it was Angelo's show he I, I put him up there first and um, this assistant was tonging this girl's hair um, and uh, the this assistant got pulled away to do something else and the assistant said Trev would you finish this I went yeah all right so there I went uh, tonguing the top of her head and uh, anyway Angelo went on stage and he brushed this girl's hair out the one that I tonged partially and uh, he came backstage he said who the heck tonged that head I, I went well that was me Angelo he went that was disgusting that was terrible <laughs> I said well I said to me I didn't. I had no direction. I was just told to tongue the top of her head. I didn't know what, how the hairstyle was going to end up. But he crucified me, and I felt really, really bad. But you know what? It was good for me. It was really good for me because I, I should have had the intelligence to say, "Well, how's this going to look when it's finished?" Because uh, I had no idea what he was going to do with the head. So uh, it, he slapped me around the face, and it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that funny that Trevor Sorby can't pass uh, Angelo's final test? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it just goes to show, you know, you, we all make mistakes. Yeah, but speaking of all those, uh, all those, you know, people. I mean, you've trained so many iconic hairdressers yourself, 
and that has become, uh, you know, stars or, you know, influence in our industry in many, many ways. So was there something that you saw in them or was it something that uh, you saw that you were able to train in them? I mean, Mm. Um, for example, uh, when Vivian McKinder came over, uh, well, she was living in London at the time she came for the job and uh, she showed me her portfolio. And uh, I said, right, I said, I like your work. I like your haircuts. I said, but you need to learn hairdressing, Vivian. I said, do you want to call yourself a good hairdresser? Then you've got to learn the entire trade, not just one section, um, not one part of the business. You've got to learn it all. And uh, I think she's one of the best hairdressers in, in the States right now. She does lovely work. But, you know, I, I can spot talent. But I tell you what I also spot, which is almost more important, and that's attitude. Now, I can't to come to work. I'm not interested in that. I don't want them working for me if I have to, you know, teach them to want to come to work. Um, so attitude, skills, um, personality is a very important part of what we do on stage and off stage and uh, I can spot it pretty quickly um, and I can, I can rear talent I, 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 I just show them the light that they have to follow that light and uh, they'll become as successful as they want to be it's, it's, it's quite easy to spot good talent to be honest because there is a lot of not very good hairdressers out there as well so it's not as difficult as one would think but you know people like Antoinette Binders who's now global director for Aveda uh, Eugene Solomon uh, was my assistant for five years he's now one of the top three session hairdressers in the world um, there's a company here called Sally and Jamie Brooks. Brooks and Brooks is the name of the company. They're doing fantastic work. She was my art director for about seven years. Um, Angela, well, as I said, is, is the best in my opinion. So yeah, I've been lucky enough to, I think I've been fortunate enough to attract good hairdressers. And the interesting thing about my company not everyone is English. Now, I've got German, Italian, French, uh, Swedish, uh, Australian people working for me. And I'll tell you why I prefer overseas hairdressers. It's quite simple. Most English hairdressers, I put it like this, they do the rounds. They'll work for us as soon, then they'll work for maybe uh, another company and then it'll be my turn to have them. And it's too easy for them to move around. Now, if somebody who lives in a different country in Europe or anywhere in the world come to that, when they come to England to want to work for me, firstly, they're giving up their family, they're giving up their friends, they're giving up their country, so to speak, um, learn English um, fluently. So there's a bigger commitment from people like that than somebody that's just doing the rounds. And I've got people, my longest member of staff is 27 years he's been with me. 
and I keep my staff. I've got people that work for me 24 years, 20 years, 15 years, and that. Assistants turn over because we are, it's too tough for them, as simple as that, I think. Um, but um, I think that, um, you see, I don't walk around my salon like trying to be a superstar. I, I, don't, I don't sit in an office. I sit in the staff room. I'm one of the boys. And uh, I treat people the way I would want to be treated. I don't act like a boss. I mean, sometimes I have to you know, say things I don't enjoy saying, but I treat people fairly and with respect. And uh, I think that's, to a certain degree, why I keep my people. Um, if you ask a lot of salon owners what's their biggest problem, usually they'll say getting good staff. Well, I don't have that problem. Um, so, but it's again, it's a very simple philosophy. You know, it's, it's what you would expect if you if you walked into a uh, a trendy boutique in uh, Knightsbridge, which is a very exclusive area, and some assistant sort of comes up and looks you up and down and sort of isn't very helpful. I always think to myself, well. You're going to go home and have a fried egg on toast while I'm going out to a nice, expensive restaurant. I always sort of try and turn it around in my own head. So, again, I hate that snobby, snooty, uh, ego-driven type of person. I don't employ them. Wow. I wouldn't, uh, it's, wouldn't it's, employ I mean anyone you told this. You told the story about Vidal Sassoon coming in and, and you know respecting your mm. staff when when he he really didn't have to. So I mean maybe that's just a great lesson that that that, that you picked up from him. You know once again, um, is there? Go ahead. I was. Just, I had that philosophy before anyway, but he just took it a step further for me to think. Oh God, I was so much want to be like him and um, <laughs> so he just uh, emphasized what my philosophy was trevor is there anything in hairdressing that either intimidates you or something that you're still working on is is and is you know is it a physical thing or or or, or what would that be what, what would be trevor sorby's one weakness my nerves i literally have had panic attacks on stage i've in the last, say, 10 years, I was vomiting before every show. Oh I was scared, nervous, uh, no self-belief in myself. Um, and that's my one part of my personality that I hate because being scared or being nervous is an awful feeling, uh, as we all know. Um, but I've never been able to overcome uh, that side of my personality. I was even nervous to do this phone call because um, you don't know what's coming at you, so you think, "Ooh, what's going to happen?" <laughs> so I always tend to fear the worst. That, that's my weakness. Well, I hope you feel a little bit better now. We 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 didn't beat you up that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey Trevor, so tell me, um, tell us, uh, silly Americans, what's um, what's MBE? Okay, um, and an MBE is 
short for member of the British Empire. And uh, you get it for services to your industry. And uh, the Queen gave me the MBE. And um, funny enough, and, and this is true, um, I, 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 this is word for word what she said. I'll never forget it. Mr. Sorby, um, I understand you do some rather strange hairstyles. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, well, I said, I try and create new ideas uh, for hair. She said, ah, yes. She said, well, I've seen you on television. You're very good at what you do. I said, well, thank you, ma'am. And with that, she shakes your hand and she just gives you a little nudge. It's not physical, it's not visible, but she nudges you. In other words, right, you've had your 30 seconds, off you go. <laughs> and anyway, two weeks later, I get a call from Buckingham Palace. And uh, her PA said that she, she wanted to speak with me, so I went along to the palace. And... Um, met her again and uh, she wanted me to be her hairdresser and uh, obviously great honor even just to be asked I, I had to actually refuse because her schedule and me running a business just didn't work out because if she went say to Australia for a week or whatever I'd have to go with her and uh, I couldn't do that and every Monday at three o'clock she has a roll of set in and stuff so you know you'd have to be available to her whenever and I just couldn't run my business that way so I had to refuse um, which <laughs> I don't refuse many people but the <laughs> Queen of England did <laughs> oh my god I can't imagine it's like here he is here he is Trevor's on our Mount Rushmore, but he also refused the queen. Like, who, how do you <laughs> that? I mean, that's the best, that's the best story out of the law. Trevor right. refused the queen. How many people right. get to say that? <laughs> no, no, not many. The other uh, award that I got, um, just quite recently, I don't know if you, if you have this sort of language in it, but... Have you heard of a doctorate? Uh, a doctorate? No, a doctorate. Doctorate. Yeah. It's, it's equal to a PhD. It's the highest uh, honor in university um, it can be achieved. I mean, a brain surgeon would have a PhD, and they wanted to give me this doctorate. Um, and I thought, why? <laughs> I mean, I'm not university trained or anything. I said, why pick on me? And uh, they said, no, no, you've done that standing achievements and we we see that and uh, we want to honor you. And anyway, um, on the day of the uh, ceremony, which is held in a church, and I have to wear all these long robes and a hat and everything. It's very, very traditional. And um, on the morning of the, um, the event, um, I was physically sick with nerves. And my wife said, Trev, you, you can't do this. You, you, you're not well. I said, I have to do this. I have to. And so I pulled myself together and got ready. And I went along. And there was 750 people in this church. 
250 of those were graduates and the rest were family members. And they said, Mr. Sorby, at the end of uh, what they're going to say about me, you were going to have to talk and give a speech, but no longer than three minutes. I said, well, can I do it in one minute? <laughs> and they said, <laughs> they said, well, whatever comes out, you know, we will accept. I went out, and I'll tell you why I, w I was so scared. Because every one of those graduates, are either going to be doctors, uh, lawyers, um, I mean, well, well-educated people, you know, surgeons, whatever. And I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm just a hairdresser. Why am I getting this top award? And I was so intimidated of, of talking about me to these people that are way in above my intelligence level. Um, but I decided not to talk about me, I decided to talk about my charity, because I thought, hang on a second, there's 250 graduates and there's the rest are family, but a third of that audience are gonna get cancer. So I was talking about something that's not just for the graduates, but it was for the entire room. And um, it went down really well, actually. And uh, afterwards, I said, oh, God, I need a drink. And the guy came up with a, an or orange juice. <laughs> Nearly threw it over his head. <laughs> that, I mean, I had something in that orange juice. <laughs> You're a vodka short, son. <laughs> so, so what's your next goal? Is there anything on your bucket list that you would like to uh, – still accomplish or do well we know it's not bungee jumping or jumping out of an airplane <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah I want to go back to art I'm 69 now and you know I, I don't have the energy level that I used to have even the enthusiasm has waned a bit um, you know I'm getting older and I understand that so there's going to come a point pretty soon where I'll actually just walk away uh, from it all. And uh, my only hobby would be art. And I want to get back into that and try and be as good as I can and put all those sort of um, knowledge and experiences and use that in, a, in another way. But I tell you what, I, I've got one of the best things that's happened to me in, in the last few months is I got a little puppy and he has stolen my heart. And um, I, I think I love him more than my wife in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> but in a different way. Right. Did um, What kind of puppy? It's called a King Charles Cavalier. Oh sure, and it's uh, it's a it's one of the best looking dogs that I I think anyway. And I was on holiday uh, last week, and uh, I had to leave him. Uh, he was being looked after by my wife's ex mother in law. <laughs> 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 Why did I find that so difficult to say? Um, Former mother in law. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so so anyway. Um, I, 
I was pining for him and I couldn't wait. I got back at two o'clock this morning. Uh, my flight was delayed and I'm, after this um, phone conversation, that's exactly where I'm going to go down to the South Coast and, um, and see him. And I, I, I just love that little boy. Bits. And he's good for me. He's good for me because, you know, I, I do suffer from anxiety and depression. It's hit me a few times in my life. And um, I, I remember reading in an article that people with anxiety and depression, one of the best medicines is a pet, preferably a dog. Um, and I thought, well, I don't quite get that. I do now. I understand perfectly. He's so good for me. He makes me happy. I love taking him out for walks. and uh, He's rounding my life off nicely. So, I'm you, in a good place. That's awesome, Trev. Have you have you picked up a paintbrush? Have you have you given it a go? Um, that's a good question, and you're going to think it's a pretty silly answer, but I'm scared um, because when I was doing it, I used. To, I remember I thought I picked up a pencil several years ago and started sketching, and the first sketch was terrible. The next night I tried again. It was a bit better. And every night for a year, I did a sketch and I kept all of them. And when I looked at the first sketch versus the last one I did, it's like, well, miles apart. And so it's a bit like going into an apprenticeship again. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm scared in case I have to go right back to the very beginning or pick it up halfway I don't know but um, that's that's going to be something that I'll get brave one day and pick the paintbrush up and have a go but it'll be when I quit hairdressing it'll probably be like riding a bike you know what I mean you you, you haven't ridden mm. a while you're a little afraid and then you get back on it and you're like then each time you get back on it, the more comfortable you become. I'm sure you'll pick Definitely. up exactly where you left off. Yeah. I mean, I think you should probably paint his uh, his dog, right? I mean, it seems like the perfect model for him. <laughs> right about that. And that, that would probably get your paint, whatever. Um, because I just take a photograph of him and use that. So I'm not going to ask the dog to sit still for three hours. We'll <laughs> 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 uh, see. But that's, that's, you know, at this stage in my life, it's, I had never thought I would ever firstly reach this age, not the way I've lived anyway. Um, and the fact that I'm 69 and be 17, sort of beginning next year, I think, see, I'm honest with myself as well. I, I know when to out. I, I'm honest. I'm not going to hang on, just just be a name and um, be seen everywhere. I, I I will actually get out completely. Um, and every life is a circle, and I'm sort of well, six eighths of the way to fulfil <laughs> that circle. So I I I know when to stop. And, um, you know, it'll be right for me to do that. 
Well, I mean, for the industry, I, I certainly hope that that isn't, that isn't soon. But um, hey, Trevor, we have a special guest for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are you on the air? Are you on the line? Yeah. Hi, Trevor. Trevor, please say hi to Viv McKinder. Viv. <laughs> you monkey bird. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, hi, Trevor. <laughs> uh, it's so wonderful to hear your voice and your wisdom and I've been so emotional listening to you. I'm actually teaching a class right now and I was telling them the story about when you took, um, when you did your first wedge and they're doing a firefly and I was telling them about that whole story and uh, it just warmed my heart and <laughs> I'm just forever grateful that you transformed my life and I, I love you so much. You know, Viv, I always felt bad about one thing. And that was not nothing to do with America, but sending you out there to do the most important job at that time. Um, knowing that part of you didn't really want to do it um, or go to America, but you have made such a, a success of... Of, of yourself and uh, I follow your work and uh, you know you you've got still got what it takes darling so uh, don't lose um, that spirit <laughs> thank you so much Trevor that means the world to me and Trevor I just send a picture to Corey because I don't know whether you know this but I think I was about 19 years old and I had a King Charles Spaniel oh. and it was a ruby uh-huh. and I have a picture of is yours a ruby? No, it's, it's a brown and white. Oh, okay. Well, I have one of those as well. But anyway, I have a picture of me. I'm going to send it to you. A picture of me with my dog. And I look exactly like my dog because my hair looks like spaniel ears. It's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're lovely animals, aren't they? They're, and, you know, they're brilliant. Yeah, he follows me <laughs> everywhere. He's, he's on my lap and... Uh, Oh, he, he's like glue. And mum, Carol, my wife, always said, Trev, he, he's behind you. And I said, yeah, I know he is. I'm scared I'm going to tread on him or something. But uh, he, he's the love of my life at the moment. Well, you've got a little one and I've got a big one. I've got a horse. So <laughs> my big boy is, and my husband sort of says, well, there's, there's Vivian's work. And then there's her horse, and then there's me. I'm third in line. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I get that. I, I, I know what you what, what you say, but um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, you see, I've always wanted a dog, but my wife says, "Oh, can't we get?" A I'm like, "Look, we're on aeroplanes all the time." I said, "It would be unfair to get a dog," but now that that's all slowed up, um, you know, it's it's that time and. Uh, I'm loving every second. Well, that's wonderful. And you know what, guys? I, I just want to do a shout out about this because Trevor taught me good taste. And I don't know many hairdressers out there that know how to teach being creative and still being tasteful. And I remember... Trevor, uh, you were looking at one of my hairstyles when you said this. Um, Vivian, there's a fine line between creativity and bad taste. Mm. And I knew I'd gone over that line. And, you know, I so appreciated the fact that Trevor never, ever compromised beauty. And mm. Trevor was always so 
Trevor's not a hair snob. Like Trevor, if you say, well, Trevor, can, how about doing this? He'll like go and explore it and say, yeah, why not? Let's try that. And then he'll come up with something new and original. And I love that Trevor's not a copycat. I love Trevor taught me how to look at something, translate it and interpret it. But he taught me the most important things that if you don't have taste mm. and you don't know how to make a woman feel and look beautiful, who cares that you just did a genius technical hairstyle? Mm. So I hold that in my heart so strongly and I try and teach it. And I suppose if I could have a dream come true, it would be to be working by your side because it was the hardest day of my life when I left the magic of who you are as a man mm. and the humility that you are and all funny laughs that we had. Do you remember when you took that mannequin skin off and you stuck it on your head? Yeah. <laughs> Where are those pictures? <laughs> I know. Trevor always put hair on, on his head. Like if he did a wig, he'd stick it on his head and just like have such a bloody good laugh. And, yeah. and I think that when someone's as successful as Trevor, that he's still got that brilliant sense of humor. Um, it, it's, it's just magic. So, you know, you're my superstar and I'm just so thankful that I grew up in London under your guidance because you were right when you said today that when you train with Trevor Sorby, every door in the world will open to you because taking those tests and living up to your standards is the ultimate goal for any hairdresser. And I just wish that more hairdressers could aspire to that because we have a different industry. Mm. So thank you, Trevor. Wow. Uh, it's lovely to hear your voice, Viv, and uh, I wish you all the success that you deserve. And uh, as I said, you still got the magic. So keep thank on. Thank you, darling. Keep thank on. That's amazing. Um, Vivian McKinder, <laughs> Trevor Sorby, thank you guys very, very much for joining us on your day off. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>